Welcome to the Five Books for Catholics podcast, where experts explain their pick of five outstanding books on an aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. In this constitutional sacred liturgy, Sacro Sanctum Concilium, the Second Vatican Council says the following. Very rightly, the fine arts are considered to rank among the noblest activities of man's genius. And this applies especially to religious art and to its highest achievement, which is sacred art. These arts, by their very nature, are oriented toward the infinite beauty of God, which they attempt in some way to portray by the work of human hands. They achieve their purpose of redounding to God's praise and glory in proportion as they are directed the more exclusively to the single aim of turning men's minds devoutly toward God. That's Sacro Sanctum Concilium number 122. In this interview, David Clayton, an internationally known artist, teacher, writer and broadcaster, has picked some of the best books on Catholic sacred art. An Englishman, educated at Oxford, David Clayton is provost of WWW Pontifex University, for whom he created the unique Master of Sacred Arts program. He holds the post of Artist in Residence of Scala Foundation in Princeton, New Jersey. He has major commissions from churches in the United States and the United Kingdom, including the Brompton Oratory in London, and has illustrated several children's books, including God's Covenant with You by Scott Hahn. His popular blog is thewayofbeauty.org, and in addition, he writes regularly for the New Liturgical Movement website. His books include The Way of Beauty, Liturgy, Education and Inspiration for Family, School and College, Painting the Nude, The Theology of the Body and Representation of Man in Christian Art, and The Little Oratory, A Beginner's Guide to Praying in the Home. David Clayton, welcome. Thank you. Very good to be here. Um, sacred art can be understood either broadly or narrowly. Construed broadly, it encompasses sacred buildings, sculptures, paintings, vessels, and vestments. Construed more narrowly, it consists of sacred sculptures and paintings. Which sense do you have in mind? Um, well, I, I know more about uh, paintings and sculpture. Uh, but I think that um, to include that broader definition is fair. But most of what I'm going to be talking about here is uh, visual art. And actually, the books that I'm recommending, predominantly painting, is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And in your view, what is the current state of Catholic sacred art? Uh, dire. One word. <laughs> Uh, With a few exceptions, I presume. <laughs> there are there are some well, there are some people who are uh, trying to buck the trend, shall we say? But the, the 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 standard of what you get in most churches and the knowledge of what's even necessary is very low, I would say, compared to what would have just appeared automatically in churches in the past. Um, and the availability of artists is very low as well. Um, We've, we've reached a, a really low ebb, I would say. Um, now, this is an opportunity. It means we can, you know, we've got a clean sheet to, to try and start again and try and 
uh, create something that's wonderful and beautiful. So I'm not daunted by that. I mean, that's why I devote my time to what I do. And we have all the ingredients necessary. We have man with a mission. As that was a beautiful passage, by the way, from the Constitution of Sacred Liturgy. I, I was, I ne I'd not heard that before. I, I'm ashamed to say. Um, but we have man, we have God, and we have the materials to make art with. So there's no reason why we can't equal or even surpass, uh, through God's grace, the glories of the past. But um, you're of the view that the current state of Catholic sacred art is quite dismal. What would you put that down to? What are the causes? I would say, <clears throat> and I take my cue here from Benedict XVI, who I respect as an authority, on, on these matters, I mean, he's not um, he's speaking as individual, not as the Pope when he talks about these things, but or as you know, not infallibly. But nevertheless, I respect him hugely. But uh, but what in his analysis, as described in the book The Spirit of the Liturgy, uh, he says that there was effectively the creation of art and the, the art forms became separated from our worship. So the wellspring of Catholic culture, of Christian culture, I would say, therefore, <clears throat> is our worship. And it's and when our worship is in harmony with visual imagery and, that, and also architecture and music and the other arts as well, then what you have is a very powerful and beautiful uh, culture of faith, as he calls it. Um, and uh, when it, when that is the case, it can become the driving force for a wider culture, which then engages with people outside the church and forms them, um, to, it primes them, if you like, to be ready for what they see when they come back into the church. That was always the case. There was a seamless transition from the culture of faith into what Pope Benedict calls contemporary culture, the wider culture of the time, which could then be generally described as Christian. Um, and he says that there was a break and the problem is liturgical and it's occurred perhaps as uh, early as the early 19th century. You could see a separation in the way that people worshipped um, and their engagement with art. They, they worshipped in a way that did not in which they didn't engage with the art, so therefore it became superfluous and ultimately um, became ne neglected. Now, there are many things that Catholics can do to appreciate and maybe even promote sacred art, for example, visiting museums and historic churches or picking an original work of art for prayer at home. Some might even team up to improve the quality of the liturgical arts used in the parish. What would mm. you recommend? Do you have any favourite strategies? Uh, well, I've got a two-pronged strategy. Um, and one is to, to offer a form, formation to the artists. So we need a training. Artists need to have skill. They need to have an understanding of Christian traditions in art and how art serves the liturgy um, and uh, they need therefore to be producing beautiful sacred art um, in, a, in, a, in an enlightened way in a, in a, in a, so that it strikes people and this can turn people's hearts even people who are not 
um, generally appreciative of art or not don't think of themselves as appreciating high culture, if it is authentically beautiful and linked to the worship, it can um, affect people uh, and that people don't need to be educated in art to do it. But nevertheless, um, it always helps if you create the market for it. You can form people to appreciate what is authentically beautiful as well. And how do you do that? Um, it can be a little, to a certain degree, you can have art in you know, classes which teach people the tradition. So in that sense, a similar sort of training for patrons of the arts as you would have for artists. Patrons work in partnership with artists and shouldn't be, should be doing more than simply supplying the money, shall we say. They, they need to understand what is needed for the community for whom they're commissioning the piece. Um, but at the same time, I think you need a bottom-up process in which you're forming people to uh, make use of the art in the liturgical context. And so um, it is through teaching people to pray with art, to understand how in the context of the liturgy, um, they can actually pray with art. So, for example, every time a saint is mentioned, if there is a picture of that saint, turn and look and address the saint through the art. Um, at the moment, very few do this. We might invoke the name of Mary, for example, in the context of the, of the mass somewhere, and no one looks at the statue of Mary. They, they will typically have their eyes shut. So you can teach people to do that. Um, now, how do you transmit that? Part of the reason that I wrote with, with Lila Lawler, who was a, a great person to work with, we wrote together um, the book called The Little Oratory. Um, it was actually teaching people to pray with visual imagery in the home and giving them some sort of uh, parameters to choose the art which serves prayer well. And the premise of this is that if we pray well, um, then the, and the art that seems to support that prayer will be good sacred art um, on the whole. I mean, the, the, you look at the general appreciation, and so it's by and it's by encouraging people to pray liturgically in the home. The reason that I focused on the home is that. Um, I, I don't like uh, badgering priests. I feel that, you know, priests, uh, they, they're in service of the church at the parish context. Many don't have the training that's necessary. But frankly, unless they're asking you for information, they've probably got enough on their plates. I'm grateful that they are there doing that. And just to add another criticism to what they're doing, which it probably isn't the most helpful thing. If they're asking the questions and you have that sort of relationship in a parish, that's terrific. But it occurs to me that in the home, we can pray liturgically and authentically liturgically by praying the liturgy of the hours. Um, and so in that context, if we learn to pray with the art, we're developing communities um, that can... Um, will naturally desire what is good. And then my hope is that that will come into the parish and seep its way up 
so to speak. And what principles have you followed in drawing up your list of recommended books? Uh, well, what principles? I, I think um, that I'll tell you a little story about how I even got involved in this, and this sure. will help me to describe the principles. So I started off wanting to serve the church as an artist and wanting to know what to do, and I could not find the training anywhere. Um, it was difficult enough to get the skills, uh, but eventually just about possible. I could pick icon painting classes here. I, I went to learn a method of drawing and painting called the academic method in Florence. So I'm carefully choosing individual courses to build up my skills. And even then, you're, you're, you're making a sort of patchwork quilt of a, a training in doing that. Not really ideal, but possible if you're driven and, and committed. It, it, people can do that. I've seen people do that um, and develop the necessary skills. But then you need to understand how to direct those skills in the service of the church. Um, what constitutes authentic liturgical art? And so the, bit, the books that I have picked are those that I found most useful in um, trying to understand that, to the, describe to me the traditions of the church, the principles that, uh, that would direct the artist's brush when they're painting. And of course, at the top of that is that uh, the ultimate purpose of um, creating art, which you read, which was in the reading you gave us so, so beautifully. Um, I will say, I asked you about this, as you know, um, I've included one of my own books in this, and um, I am a, by nature, I, I'll admit it, a self-publicist, but it isn't just for that reason. Um, I found that there was really very little information available, and so I had to get draw from a, a whole string of different sources what I felt was appropriate, what I felt I was looking for, and so... I put into my book, The Way of Beauty, which is uh, the one that I've recommended and that you mentioned earlier, those things which I don't think are in a, you know, a Catholic sacred art textbook otherwise. Um, so, you know, I'm, however well or badly I've done it, I believe it fills out a vacuum which is, is not there otherwise, or information that's not there otherwise. So the first book on your list is one you've already mentioned, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger's The Spirit of the Liturgy. Yeah. This book is not about sacred art as such. It has sections in sacred art. However, it focuses on the liturgy, the setting of mm. sacred art. Why have you chosen this book to top your list? Well, as you say, <clears throat> it's not about art directly. It's about the liturgy. The, the chapter in art is immensely rich, like the book, um, as a whole, it might be 150 pages or something. Um, and uh, he, um, he he has a way of writing that you can unpack and unpack what, what he's saying. So it's a short chapter um, and it's there. But I think that it, it's, it's very good to understand that the, the liturgy, the worship of God is the the highest activity that we can engage in in this life. And it's a participation in the heavenly activity of, of loving God in heaven. That, that's the 
closest we can do it. So and it informs everything else we do. So by um, through that, uh, all that we can do can be uh, part of the activity of uh, loving God and can be sanctified by it. But ultimately, the, the, the source and summit um, of all Christian activity is the liturgy. And so we need to understand that before we can then understand how the art can be placed into that context. And I think that the Spirit of the Liturgy is the best book that I have found, as a first read anyway, um, to do that. And frankly, as, as you know, if you read nothing else, it, it, you, it's, it's so rich. It gives a, a deep understanding of what is uh, the wellspring of Catholic culture. What I mean by that, um, and that includes our, what I mean by that is that uh, the, the forms that you see in Christian culture are formed from the inspiration of the liturgy. Now, all cultures are of a time and of a place. We know, we understand the general through the particular, but the liturgy is the source of its own culture. It isn't simply the external cultures that exist around it. it the, 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 that they will contribute to it as well. But when people talk, for example, about Western European culture being uh, representing certain things and being inappropriate for other places, well, um, to the degree that they participate in what is universal in Christian culture, they are appropriate to all people. And so it's perfectly legitimate where there is no Christian culture to bring those forms in um, as they are, and then gradually to adapt them from that starting point to the place and time, as the Spanish did in South America, for example, um, or in Central America. Um, so, uh, but the, the this is not Europe engaging in cultural imperialism. This is this is Christianity offering its own culture to others, so that they can take it as a gift and then develop it as their own from that starting point. And second in your list is God's Human Face, the Christian yeah. icon written by the Archbishop of Vienna, Cardinal Christoph Schonborn, back mm. when he was an academic. The book is on the theological foundations of icons and explores the theological debates surrounding the iconoclast controversy in 8th century Byzantium. What are icons? Why are pictorial representations of Christ important? And why have they been deemed idolatrous? Okay, so um, the the reason I chose this book, and I, I, through that I'll answer your questions in a general way, um, is that uh, it's important that as Catholics we understand, first of all, that the, the, the basic justification for the use of images. So um, when the Seventh Ecumenical Council, which he talks about, so he's covering the period of history um, and the development of theology in the period prior to the Seventh Ecumenical Council in 787, and then a little bit after, uh, because it took a while for the pronouncement of that council, which um, uh, 
made it clear that the church mandates the use of sacred art. Um, it took a while for that to take hold, and he describes why that was as well. So he goes to about 100 years later. Um, but the, uh, the argument over idolatry couldn't be sorted out until, um, until Christ, the Christology was sorted out, because the arguments for the use of images relate to um, why Christ is the image of the Father and we are made in the image and likeness of God. So all of this had to be established. And so a lot of the book is describing uh, the councils prior to this and um, their development of the idea that Christ is uh, a single person that has two natures and what that means. Um, and once you understand that, then it becomes legitimate to, to paint um, Christ as man, the, the person of Christ as man, because he was visible to people. Um, and uh, the idea of um, the fact that he's, a, he's saying that we approach the Father through him. So in other words, we worship the Father through the Son in the Spirit. That's what we do in the liturgy. Um, and the idea of an image does that, that by engaging with something that we can see, we're offering something to a person that we can't see. And so we are, we through through the Father, through the Son, we reach the Father. But then by analogy, through an image of Christ, we reach Christ himself in our imaginations. And so it allows for that transference of respect or honour or worship, which has to be appropriate to what it's given to, and that changes according to the person. Um, but um, it allows for that transference through the image. So we're not worshipping the image, we're worshipping Christ, but we're doing it through the image as a, as a guide, as a, as a help to us. Now, the argument about idolatry um, really related to, um, and this has cropped up over centuries, um, the, uh, the most common objection uh, will be with regard to the commandment which says, thou shalt not create any graven image. Um, and so people are interpreting that and wondering what it means. Um, and uh, my understanding is that, that uh, it actually means that you shall not make an idol. In other words, an image for false worship, because then in the Bible, the next thing that God does is instruct the Israelites to create images as part of their liturgical worship. Um, incidentally, one of the reasons that, um, the Cal that Calvin condemned imagery was that he interpreted that commandment as referring to all images um, rather than idols. In other words, false images, um, images of false gods or gods that don't exist. And, um, and so uh, because he was, he was only reading it in translation, I think, that's what I understand. Um, but actually that is not the original meaning of the, of the commandment. And so all of this had to be sorted out. Um, so um, idolatry can mean, would, would be worshiping the image. We don't do that. Um, or it could mean worshipping a false god through an image of a false god, and we don't do that. That's, that's very, very clear. 
But it's also clear from uh, what the the council said that it isn't just the case that in, um, sacred art is permitted, it's mandated. We are bound to do this because they believe that with, if we don't do this, we lose the faith. And I'm sure there are many reasons. I'm not going to claim this is the only one, but we're in a situation now where sacred art is very is really not part at the heart of the Catholic Church's worship anymore, certainly not in the liturgical context. It, it might be in sort of devotional prayer um, and hasn't been for some time. And we see in parallel the faith declining in numbers. Um, and so I think if there's one thing that we could do to contribute to building up the faith, it's to, it's to have authentic liturgical reform and harmonizing that with the veneration of images. And that was, would be something, that's the part that I'm addressing, should we say. I'm not going to say it's the only problem. There are all sorts of reasons, I'm sure. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview, or to support this podcast, visit the website fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on the platform of your choice so that more people can discover it and give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, God bless.